0: Anything Combat with Johnny K. It's Anything Combat though. Welcome back combatants to the Anything Combat show where we discuss everything mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Johnny K. Today, we're joined by a special guest. He's formed the featherweight division, lightweight division, welterweight division. He's born Bellator, Tough, and the Rare Affliction. Please welcome the Honorable Superman, JJ Ambrose. How you going, JJ? Hey,
1: how's it going? As
0: we say in Guam, half a day. What does that mean? And
1: um, what language do people in Guam speak? And what does that mean? So uh, the native tongue is called Chamorro. Um, that's like the indigenous people that were here for thousands of years before uh, the Spanish settlers came in about the 1500s. Um, but it's basically a greeting. I mean, if you think about like the Hawaiians, you know, Aloha, Hafa is the equivalent. Okay, cool, cool, cool. When did you move to Guam? I've
0: seen so many fighters. The last fighter I um, interviewed that was in Guam, he was from um, New Orleans and he moved to Guam like young. His name was Trevin Jones. But I want to ask you, I want to ask you, when
1: did you move to Guam and why did you move to Guam? Um, I moved in 2016, my wife and I. um, So my wife's originally from Guam. I had been visiting Guam with her since 2010. Um, essentially, like the culture here is very family and community oriented, whereas like where I'm from in California, it's like you move wherever the job is. So as soon as I turned 18, you know, I packed my stuff up and left mom and dad and kind of never really looked back, you know, like um, I always say the white people kind of scattered to the wind and here locally, everyone kind of sticks together. It's a tight knit community, and we had one daughter at the time, uh, Juliet, and we wanted to raise her around more family. Whereas, like in uh, Northern California, it was just uh, her, my wife and I, and Juliet, um, and then my in-laws would come visit every once in a while.
0: On a different note, on your fighting career, you said that you moved around a little bit for for when you were in, uh, did you say California? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I want to ask you. When is your next fight and where is it taking place?
1: So I don't have anything scheduled. I actually, um, after fighting in Shuriken and uh, winning the welterweight title over there, I kind of announced my retirement. Um, And the reason being is, like, as a fighter, it's really hard to focus on anything other than fight camp. If you really give it your all, like... I always tell people that you can only be good at two things. And, um, during fight camp, that's all I did was focus on the fighting stuff. So I was a shit dad, a shit husband, a shit gym owner, a shit coach, you name it. I was bad at it, but you know, the fighting thing I had locked in. So, um, I feel like I need to take a step away. I don't know if I'm done, done, but right now I just need to step away so that I could focus on, I have three daughters, man. Um, Um, I've got a gym business and I just opened up a uh, a, like basically a shake shop. And uh, I mean, I just I just need to dive into that right now. So for the time being, I'm done. But um, I, I do feel like I have more left in me. I'm 36 right now. I feel like 40 is like the cutoff. Like 40 is when you're 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 either you all Romero or you should retire. That's a great point.
0: You mentioned your business ventures. Are they
1: in Guam? So I have my gym, uh, Steel Athletics, which is a thriving business. Fortunately for us, we have a lot of military here. Um, Guam's kind of like a, milita- a giant military base. Um, in addition to being a beautiful island, we just have a big influx of new people um, every every couple of years, you know, like you get a new set of people. So we have a lot of gym members that are military. Um, so I'm, I'm very fortunate to have that. And an opportunity recently presented itself uh, to buy into a franchise called Fruits. It's a, it's a big, um, essentially like it's a Jamba Juice, um, um, but we don't have a Jamba Juice here on Guam, so Fruits is kind of like the, the next best thing. Um, so we bought into that, um, which we'll be taking over starting Friday.
0: That's wonderful. That's Wonderful. You were on the season, really fun season of The Ultimate Fighter with GSP and Josh Koscheck. Yes, that's an iconic season. I was just wondering, what was that experience like for you? And did you get to speak to GSP and Josh?
1: Okay, so like coming from American Kickboxing Academy, um, I already knew like regardless of who was coaching, like I was going to be on team AKA, which was Josh Koscheck. So I I knew going in who, um, was going to be mentoring me essentially. Uh, so I, I, didn't speak, I mean, other than shaking hands at GSP, I didn't have too much interaction with him. The guy's a legend, you know? So, I mean, like I've been watching his videos in and out of the cage for as long as I can remember. Um, but with Koscheck, I got a firsthand experience with him before the show even started. Um, just what he was all about. And if there was ever a definition for a professional fighter, it would have been Josh Koscheck because like he made no, made no like qualms about what he was about. Like he didn't want to be your friend. He wanted you to be his training partner. He was all business when he got to the gym, he was there, you know, 20, 30 minutes early, warming up, wrapping his hands. everything about that guy was very professional. There was no like, this isn't like he didn't go there to fuck off at the gym. He was never joking. Um, If he smiled, it was a rare occasion, but it it was all business with that guy. And I, I kind of appreciate that, you know, because MMA fighters tend to be the most delinquent people on earth, you know, like myself included, you know, punctuality is never a thing. And, you know, when, if we were a little bit late starting practice, he let it be known that he was not happy, Um, the guy was just the hardest worker in the room and, you know, he was there before everybody. Um, he mopped the mats with the rest of us and he he was just a good dude all around. I know he doesn't get the most love and he's not the most memorable fighter, but he was so professional, man, had nothing but good things to say about his work ethic.
0: JJ, can you tell us your journey to MMA? How'd you get started and what inspired
1: you to be a professional fighter? Man, I, I like feel like my mma journey started at such a young age not in any terms organized but like i've always been on like this warriors journey since i as long as i can remember i mean like two and three years old watching like john Clyde van Dam and arnold schwarzenegger i always knew that i wanted to be into something like it i've been kicking and punching for as long as i can remember i would watch professional wrestling i i thought it was real at the time of course Um, but I always knew that I told my mom when I was like four years old, someday I'm going to, I'm going to be a champion. I'm going to have a belt, like, you know, like all the WWF wrestlers. And, uh, and then I remember when I was like six or seven, I saw like the, the pay-per-view promotion for the ultimate fighting championship, you know, and that was pretty much the only snippet of it I got was when I was a kid. I I never actually got to watch the fights until I was uh, probably a teenager, um, but I, cause, I mean, pay-per-view was crazy expensive back then. It was like $50 US just for uh, the UFC. So, of course, my parents weren't paying for some, you know, like backyard brawl, essentially, however they saw it. Um, but I remember seeing that and thinking like, yeah, that, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. So I was very, very young when I started in my head anyway. But I got into organized wrestling with a school club when I was about 10 years old. When I was 15, I started boxing, and then uh, I I got right into like the boxing matches. I I was kind of big for my age, so um, I asked if I could fight right away. I didn't want to I didn't want to I didn't want uh, to get good. Essentially, I just wanted to spar and I wanted to fight right away. So my first fight when I was I was like 15 years old, I was already boxing, um, and fortunately for then, I did really well. Um, just being a big kid at the time, that, that helped a ton. I was pretty athletic. Um, but then when I turned eighteen, I remember this. It was the same night of the ultimate fighter. Um, I made my essentially MMA debut. It uh it was the same rules as uh, professional fights, but um they just didn't pay you. That was there was back then, you know, that was two thousand five. We had this we had the same rules, punches, elbows, knees to the head, all of that. But um, I just remember the promoter walking into the gym and saying, Hey, is there anybody that wants to fight? We have a show in two weeks. It was at a uh, town. It was about 30 minutes away. I was like, yeah, I'm. let's go. I've been wrestling. I've been boxing. I don't need jiu-jitsu. Um, <laughs> so I made my professional debut essentially. And, um, I, I I did like a mounted guillotine to the guy. I am so, I am so thankful at the time that, whoever did the matchmaking for this, like put two young kids that didn't know what they were doing together because I could have got stitched up so bad looking back. I didn't know a single thing. I am so lucky because, you know, as soon as I got my hand raised, I was like, all right, this is what I'm doing. I don't need to go to college. I don't need to do anything else. I'm going to be a fighter. Done.
0: So, JJ, we look at a fighter's record. We see a W. We see see and L. We don't know how hard someone actually grind, grinded or how hard they had to dig, how deep they had to dig to get that one W. So I want to ask you, in those cases where you need to dig as hard as possible to get that W, what is motivating you and what is
1: motivating you to step in the cage to begin with? Yeah. So um, I think that it's changed over the years, obviously. Um I mean, just speaking like when I first started out, like it was almost like destiny was calling. Like I, I knew from a very young age that this was what I wanted to do. I knew that I-, I I saw I saw everything. I I guess that professional wrestling pretty much just like laid it out for me. That like you work really hard, you get your hand raised, and you get a belt. So in my head, that was like my journey. That's what I wanted. I wanted to be the ultimate warrior wanted to be the Hulk Hogan. You know, I'm a, I'm a little bit undersized compared to those guys, but I knew that, that's, that that was the route that you had to go. Just work hard, get your hand raised, get a belt. So, I mean, I was, I think I was 19 years old when I first got, uh, I when I got a belt for TFA, but I mean, I just knew that my life was laid out that way. And I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. Uh, I've heard the term where it's like, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, I mean, that's not been true. It's not true at all. You'll just work harder than everybody else. You know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine clocking in for somebody else's business and thinking, oh, I'm going to work really hard so they can go on vacation more this year. It's never, it's always clicked in my head that, I'm going to work as hard as I can for my dream to come true, not somebody else's. So, like, I of course, I had to pay my way outside of fighting. You know, I'd work at different gyms and um, uh, different odd jobs. You know, I think I even bounced in my early 20s uh, just to get by. But it wasn't like that was what the dream was. The dream wasn't to be a coach or a personal trainer. The dream was get your hand raised, work really hard, get a belt. That was it. It's the only thing I focused on. Um, and then as I got older, you know, like this last fight, um, I, I got a contract um, eight weeks before the fight. Um, and I, I just, I stared at it for maybe three weeks before I actually signed it. Because, um, you know, I was getting on in years, but um, then this, this typhoon hit Guam, Typhoon Mawar. It hit Guam and it pretty much devastated the island. And suddenly I had all this motivation like, all right, Guam needs a hero. I need to get off this island. I need to raise money for charity and we just need good news. We need something good in the newspaper other than this building got destroyed or people are displaced, don't have running water, don't have power, no uh, internet connection, all all these basic necessities that... I mean, I guess we don't need internet, but uh, basic necessities that aren't being met. So I was like, I got to get off the island. I got to go raise money. I got to do something good for the community. So I signed the contract and, you know, five weeks later, stepped into the cage.
0: I've got a question about your hairstyles. So you've had so many in your career. Uh, (laughs) What's
1: your favorite one? What's the most iconic one of your career? Man, I, I... every, every Christmas I have to battle this because I have to make sure that I look like Superman. I get dressed up, uh, and we go ring the bells for the Salvation Army. I think you guys call it salvos. Um, but we ring the bells and I I get some of the guys from the gym and the girls to dress up like superheroes. And we, we ring the bells and really cool thing. It, not that it gets more money for the bells, but it kind of does. I mean, kids drag their parents like, hey, I want to go see Superman. I want to see Batman or Wonder Woman. Um, and then I also go around to like the local hospitals. And if there's any, if there's a bunch of kids in the children's ward, um, you know, we'll go visit them. So yeah, it's kind of a cool thing to do. But I really, I really like having long hair, but it's just such a nuisance uh, during training and especially during fights. You know, like you imagine you throw a punch and you're doing this. As soon as, the, you ever see Clay a fight? He throws a punch, fixes his hair. Throws a punch, fixes his hair, over and over. So he can become quite a nuisance during fights, during training. But I, I mean, I do enjoy it. Maybe when I get older. Realistically, I should just have a mullet, so I could have the long hair. And but I can't. I can't bring myself to do that. I feel like that's a little bit too redneck for my taste. You know who pulls it off really well though is Jack Jenkins. He puts on a suit. He's got the mustache, nice mullet. A little bit of Jerry Curl going looks amazing.
0: Well, you brought him up. What do you think about his fight style, and where do you see his career going?
1: It's so good because I I feel like he's ahead of the game in a in a way. There's a there's a couple of technical things that he takes advantage of that a lot of fighters haven't caught on to. Um, Barry Robinson brings it up all the time in his videos. You'll see it. it's called the rhythm step, and 90% of the fighters are doing it out there and they're getting caught because of it. Whether, if you're able to take advantage of it, you're, you, you have a big step or a big advantage over these fighters that are using a rhythm step. So it's it's basically like this technical flaw. And Jack doesn't make that technical flaw and he's also very aware of the ones that are doing it. So you'll see in his last fight, I forget the guy's name, but he kicked his leg off every time he did this specific step.
0: Yeah, Don Shaneus was his yeah. previous opponent. Actually no, fuck. His previous opponent was the Fight Night guy, the one beforehand. Which fight are you talking about? You were talking about the one in Perth or are you
1: talking about the one in Vegas? It, it it just happened, it just happened a few weeks ago. It was in Florida, I believe.
0: Okay, yeah, I don't know who that guy is. Yeah, yeah, continue, sorry.
1: Really really good wrestler. Uh he had really good wrestling, but he has this technical flaw that Jack was able to take advantage of and he, he was kicking his leg every time he came in and it 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 forced his opponent to have to switch stances multiple times because he was just tearing that leg up. For me, I just think that Jack's gonna be ahead. He's got a, he comes out of a really good camp. He trains really hard. Uh, the boys over at Absolute uh, really work on their development, their technical striking, and it's not just uh, show up and spar as hard as you can kind of gym. And I think that's very important for fighters.
0: Yeah, you brought up the rhythm step. Somebody that does that really well is uh, Yoel Romero. A lot of his flying knees and a lot of his knockouts come from that rhythm step. So what a weird what a weird incorporation mm-hmm. to MMA. But yeah, just if you can master that, you'll be a gun. About the hair, you brought up the hair. Yeah. There's a mythical fighter in MMA called um, Salon Quality Dustin Poirier. And every single time he gets into a brawl, this is the salon quality hair. So he's fighting Gaichi um next. And I want to ask you, do you think salon quality Dustin Poirier beats Gaichi, or do you think Gachi will win that
1: fight? Uh I think Dustin has his number. He won the first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um I think I think the way that Gaichi was winning against Dustin was he kept uh, attacking the lead leg of Dustin, it was forcing him to uh switch stances a lot. So I thought that it was gonna be if Dustin could knock out Justin. Uh, God, that's really weird to say, Dustin and Justin. Yeah, if Dustin can uh knock out Gaichi before Gaichi can leg kick him off, like lay, kick his leg off, you know then Dustin wins. So, Gaethje lately doesn't seem like he's attacking legs as much. That's just what I've noticed. Uh, And he's relying on his striking um, a lot more. Which, I mean, cool. Like, we're worrying about the hands. I just think that Dustin's hands right now are so on point that I think Dustin has the edge over Justin in this one.
0: See... I respect your decision-making and I respect your opinion, but I have to disagree. I feel personally that because Justin is so much more defensively sound now, it took Dustin the fourth round to put him away. And Dustin can't score those knockouts in the first or second round like that. He withers people away. I feel like Justin's new defensive capabilities, like we just saw when he fought for Zeev, I think he's... I think the reason that Fazeev couldn't get into a brawl with him anymore and couldn't um, cause Justin to be out of position and not defensive is the reason that Dustin will lose his fight. I think Justin has, been, has switched in his mind from, I want to be a fun fighter to, I want to be an effective fighter. I think the days of Justin getting into random brawls for no reason is actually behind him. I think that he wants to get the UFC championship so bad that he will forego having fun fights to win the fight effectively. And if you rewatch that Faziv fight, Faziv was struggling to land on him, and Faziv's one of the best, fastest strikers in that whole division. If you think about that concept of how fast, the and how Dustin is not as fast. I feel like Justin, I feel like Dustin will not be able to land as much on Justin that he did in the first one because Justin will not engage in the brawl. Additionally, I also feel that the Chandler fight really is is very telling. If you look at the Chandler fight with Justin, Justin kept him at range and and beat the shit out of him, really. If you look at the Dustin Chandler fight, Chandler actually arguably won two rounds of that three-round fight and hurt Dustin on multiple occasions. So it's very interesting to see how Justin is now way more calm and defensive than he was from the previous fight. I feel like Justin's improved and is a completely different fighter, and I feel like Dustin is an improved version of the same fighter. How do you feel about that?
1: I think that's fair. Um I also I I think Chandler's a, pair, a poor comparison only because I feel like Chandler sometimes he'll get it in his head that he's going to put on a show. Point being, he lifts he lifts uh Gaethje in the air and just kind of slams him on his back. Like he basically You mean you mean Dustin? You no, know, when he when he lifted up Gaethje in their fight, I don't know if you remember
0: he yes, double legs. Yes, and, he did. And he, he did the somersault. Yeah, yep. like,
1: he had no reason to do that except for I want to make a highlight reel. <laughs> it was almost like I'm just gonna put on a show. I'm trying to get fight of the night bonus, and I feel like Chandler gets that in his head sometimes, and for for you know for our entertainment essentially. So when when is that fight exactly? Uh, later this month at the end of the month like the 30th
0: now what's so funny about what you what you just said about about Chandler is the fact that in another universe Chandler is patient athletic good decent sub game really good wrestler powerful fast striker and has six belts at in the UFC right but we're living in the universe where
1: Chandler (laughs) doesn't want doesn't want to win fives. it's so true he says it though i'm not here for a long time i'm here for a good time like dude just (laughs) just have some strategy involved in it you know it's kind of frustrating because he's so talented and he he works so hard but sometimes he's just like "Eh, i'm definitely gonna get i'm gonna win five tonight (sighs) tonight
0: Chandler versus McGregor's uh, taking place. Maybe not. McGregor's so unpredictable these days. It's actually ridiculous to even say that. <laughs> Everything he thinks is going to happen with McGregor totally doesn't. So I've got a question. With that fight, I see that fight going, McGregor actually winning it. Even if he's an underdog, I'll still pick him. I feel like Chandler will go for ridiculous hooks and McGregor's timing and anticipation are his best strengths and I think he'll one-two him down the pipe left hand and finish him
1: i man i i feel like you're you're like spot on with that i do think i think mcgregor's left hand is like a death touch for most people and especially ones that are explosive and try to like be rangy and jump into the punches like eddie alvarez and jose aldo uh, for example they tried to wing it and throw all this power and dustin i mean uh conor mcgregor just touched them with his left hand and that was that so, I mean, I think you're, you're spot on with that. We've spoken about so many different styles. We're
0: talking about the anticipation of McGregor. We're talking about the volume of uh, Dustin, calculation of Gaethje. I want to ask you, you're constantly fighting new people. Do you watch tape and how do you prepare for different styles? Like, what do you
1: game plan for different styles? I mean, so obviously we all have our strengths in MMA. You want to go the path of least resistance. If there's a striker that, you know, um, essentially like you're you're worried about something, even if your striking is good, you want to go where they're weakest. So, I mean, obviously you want to put them on their back and and grind them out. And then on the other end, if the guy has really good jujitsu, then we'll just stay away from the floor. Um, we're just going to outstrike him. So that was kind of like how I figured uh, against uh, John Barke, um Good, really good wrestler. So I, I felt like I had better jujitsu than him, but the co- I felt that the cost of getting him to the floor would be too great. So I'm like, all right, we're going to strike. You know, we're just going to tie our shoelaces together. Unfortunately for the fans, you know, watching two wrestlers um, try to strike. it not always the most entertaining it just looks like two guys that are two intermediate guys in a striking kickboxing match not not always the best but i mean that's how we got the win because i i I felt that trying to get him to the ground was going to be too taxing so i went the path of least resistance which was the striking game
0: you are very critical of your own performances so i think i think you're a little bit too critical but but I wanna ask you about when I looked at your Wikipedia and I saw that you fought on affliction, I was like, what a what a funny story in MMA. I can't I can't believe this sport sometimes. Some of the craziest shit happens. So I wanna ask you, what was that time like in your life? And what
1: was it like fighting for affliction and on a Fador card? Wow, you know, like thinking back to I think I was twenty I was twenty-two years old at the time. I had a bunch of fights. I think I had 12 fights the other time I um, fought Mike Pyle. But um, I was around from like the get-go with Affliction. I remember I worked. I actually worked at their factory. Um, I, I did uh, personal training for the uh, some of the like the CEO and the owner. Um, uh, his name was Todd Beard. He was a big biker-looking guy. But essentially, the UFC uh, banned fighters from wearing affliction t-shirts out they used to have like the best deals for every fighter they would give them like fifty thousand dollars just for a walkout t-shirt you know and so i mean it was unheard of so when the ufc banned them todd i remember he had this real gruff voice was like, oh fuck it we're gonna do our own show and he was just he he was heavily into the party scene so he'd go out with the fighters and he would promise just stupid money um you know, at the time, and I remember, like, he was a little drunk when he, like, uh, like, wrote up Mike. He, like, what he told me he was going to give me for the contract, and I remember thinking, like, holy fuck, that's more money than I've ever made in my life, you know? So, it, it was a really cool time uh, to be around. It felt like the Wild Wild West at the time. But uh, I remember warming up in the back, and I'm watching Fedor, and he has his hands down. He's just kind of shuffling his feet side to side. He's not hitting mitts or anything. And I and right then and there, I was like, "Fuck! I'm in the wrong building." You know, like I, I was just 21 years old and I'm about to fight in front. I think there was 12,000 people at the uh, Honda Center. I even tripped getting into the ring. I mean, let me tell you, like that was just deer caught in the headlights moment for me. I was definitely out of my league at the moment. You know, stepping into the uh, the ring it wasn't a cage um and in hindsight i wish i had more time wish i had more experience before i had done that but it was a really cool time to be alive and in the fight scene you got to i got to see all the behind the scene actions that a lot of people might have missed out on and just being a little part of history it was cool did you like the ring or the cage what do you what do you prefer Oh, definitely the cage. The, the ring just tripped me up completely. I remember, um, I shot a double leg and like, like your hips can sink in. Like if you, if you can imagine your hips go through the ropes. So, um, it's not the same thing. Whereas like the cage stops you, it takes away your center of gravity. Um, and with the ring, not so much, you just kind of, you know, lean on it. So yeah, I, I definitely prefer, uh, cage. I think it's more suited to MMA. If you can't get a big open area, um, like a big open area would be kind of cool too for fights, but um, definitely like Cage is way better than a ring for me.
0: Fedor and Stipe are tied in my opinion for heavyweight goat of MMA. I would say that Fedor has a tiny edge, but I think that one of them needs one win to really solidify that spot. How do you feel about Fedor's career? Would you consider him the go-to heavyweight or would you consider Stepe?
1: I just think that like every generation of fighter in, in any sport gets to build on the previous. So like mine, for instance, I think my generation was the first to actually do strength and conditioning. Like if you think about like fighting before 2005, everybody was, all right, we're going to spar really hard to get in shape. I have a fight coming up. So I got to spar more. And then for me, like it was like a second, instead of sparring really hard, well, we still spar hard, but now we're going to do a second session. And that second session is going to be strength and conditioning. And the, think about the technical ability, like Hoyce Gracie went in there with absolutely zero striking. He had um, good jujitsu. I wouldn't say great jujitsu because he wasn't even the best in his family. He was just the the marketable one. He was, he, Henzo Gracie looked like a fighter. Hoist Gracie didn't look like one. So they went with Hoist. It was like a marketing scheme, essentially. Like, look, look what this weak guy can do because of the Gracie systems. Easy. The next generation, they had two things. Like, look at Matt Hughes. He had wrestling and he had an amazing, like, not amazing jujitsu, but really good jujitsu and good ground and pound. So every generation gets a little bit better. So when I think about Fedor, he had good striking. Uh, he had the Sambo wrestling combined with the jiu-jitsu and I thought that just made him very well-rounded for the time and he, it put him ahead of everybody. So with Stipe, Stepe is just one step above Fedor as far as, ter- as skill goes. But when you, when you think of GOAT, it's like arguing uh, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. It's every generation gets a little bit better than the next. But to say who's the goat, I, I would say it's like he is the goat of that generation of that time period. The next time period, it's this guy. You know, Jordan was the early nineties, um, late eighties, and then Kobe Bryant was late nineties, early two thousands, et cetera, et cetera. And they keep they, every generation gets better. So it's hard to say who is better than who. I mean, you, you just it's just not the same thing. I didn't have YouTube to look at providers like or Instagram I had zero video or zero credibility to go off of if somebody showed me a technique in 2007 like all right I'll try this once you know whereas now you're like no that shit doesn't work man so I mean why did I learn why did I learn a key lock in 2006 why did I learn a key lock that shit is garbage I'm sure there's guys that get it but when's the last time you saw a key lock in the UFC
0: I like to separate the debates I like having the first debate being, who's the better fighter? And then you can argue, who has better skills? Kind of like Aldo and Volkanovski. All right, well, Aldo didn't really have good wrestling. He had good jiu-jitsu, but Volkanovski's got wrestling, striking, but doesn't have the jiu-jitsu game. So it's a difficult debate. And then when, oh, I, like to, I like to take that part of the discussion and flip it to when people want to talk about GOAT, I like to talk about accomplishments. I don't care about the fighter, really. I don't care about it. I want to know who's achieved more. You know what I mean? And it's all about the quality of wins at the time. So that's when it gets a little bit confusing because somebody like somebody like Fedor, he beat a lot of people and a lot of UFC champions, but how many belts did they have? That the level of how good the fighter was and um, how much they've achieved should be two separate discussions. Because someone like Khabib, I think that his first championship against Ally Quinter. Who was ranked eleventh at the time, and and also lost his next like three or fourth, or one like one of his last five. I think that shows that that championship is not the same quality of someone like Benson Henderson beating Frankie Edgar in his prime. You know what I mean?
1: That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's very fair. I, I I mean, if if we're if we're going that route, then I mean, I think Fedor's got to be the one, right? I mean, because he whoever. Was the number one contender at the time. He always beat them. I mean, I am just thinking back to the guys that he fought, like uh Krokop was the man at the time, the Nogueira brothers. Um
0: he beat he beat Big Nog, he beat um Arlovsky, Silva, uh, Mark Coleman twice, Kevin Randleman. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Man, he fought the UFC who champions who the there. Time. Yeah.
0: Now, how do you think he would have done if you went to the UFC?
1: Who, who was champ at the time? Who was like, I, I remember Tim Sylvia was, wasn't he holding the belt at the same time?
0: Uh, I believe, I believe each time was maybe like a year off. Someone had beaten them or, or it was before they got the belt because I believe, I believe Arlovsky mm-hmm. won and then went to affliction and then it lost the belt. UFC went to affliction and then Fedor beat him. But at the time they were trying to make yeah. Brock Lesnar yeah. versus Fador. that was the fight they were trying to make.
1: Oh man, I feel like Brock Lesnar would have stopped on him, to be honest. I I I don't know how that fight would have went. It's it's really hard to say. I mean, because Brock was such a beast, but I don't know. That's a hard one to say.
0: I think I think I love Brock. I love the fact that he went to the UFC and he did his thing, but I do have to say that Fador could go for like twenty-five minutes. He could do full championship rounds at heavyweight at back yeah. then, so his conditioning was fucked. Including the fact that American style wrestlers, big six foot four American style wrestlers, couldn't take him down. And when they took him down, Fedor Sambo and Jiu Jitsu was amazing. So I just don't see Brock
1: round and pounding him. Hey, that that is fair, right? That is fair yeah I mean because you know like Kevin Randleman, i I'll never forget that left such an impression on me when he like you know belly to back suplex Fedor and landed in a Kimura. yeah I mean that, that was man what a what a fight <laughs> you know that that left a massive I can't believe that slam
0: that slam uh, I, to be honest if I get my own house I'm gonna print that in the air when they're both in the air upside down and um print that out that an an absolute iconic moment in the sport
1: that was my first introduction into pride was watching that fight i remember watching it live and as they're walking out i'm thinking look at this fucking monster who's about to fight this white schlub you know and i thought it was such a mismatch i'm like no fucking way are they fighting And then that happened, and I was like, oh, my God. How did that – like, I didn't understand it. You know, I wasn't watching – I didn't uh, understand jiu-jitsu at the time. So, when he landed in that Kimura, I was just so shocked.
0: My um, introduction to MMA was Gustafson versus Jones 1. That was the first fight I ever watched. What was your first fight?
1: Okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, it I think Ken Shamrock. No, 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 hang on. Tito versus Ranicatur.
0: What an interesting fight to start with. Did that did that flip a switch in you saying I'm going to do this?
1: Uh no, I mean before that. I I knew that I wanted to do uh mixed martial arts. I I knew that, but I remember watching that particular fight and thinking again, like Tito Ortiz looked like I don't know. Just I was like, Randy looks old, you know. I mean, he's balding. Even then, he had he had like a uh, you know like that that really bad crow's peak or whatever. Um, and thinking like, why is this old guy fighting such a badass? And then Tito looked, man, he looked the part too. He had the flame shorts and the bleach blonde hair. He just marketed himself so well. And then at the time, you know, he he was the man. And then Randy Couture. Just walked right through him. Even spanked him, if I recall.
0: <laughs> What's a memorable fight from your career? It could be a loss or it could be a win that taught you something about fighting, like a life lesson.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, like in my third fight, um, I re- like I mean I was still not anti jitsu but I was more like wrestling is better than jujitsu. I don't need to do this shit. Um, I remember getting triangled in my third fight and right after that i was like yeah i think i should give this jujitsu stuff a try so for like the next i think six months all i did essentially was jujitsu like i i did uh two sessions a day with nogi just working on that so that didn't happen again i think that's been like the mantra of my career though anytime i've lost i'm like all right well i better dabble a little bit in what i suck at so it's kind of been my thing
0: you're American, you fight in the Pacific regions, you're in Asia Pacific. I want to ask you, what do you think about the cultural differences when you go and fight up against Australians or you go and fight up against people from Guam? What are you seeing that's so different to American fighters?
1: Um, so like culturally, I think that Guam's a little bit behind as far as uh, the production and the development of fighters um i think it's very old school like you show up and you you do some technique and then you spar at the end um and as we know with like football players and rugby and all that uh ct is a very real thing so um i, I like in my advanced years i'd say with mma uh I, I try to spar as little as possible. Um, I keep telling the guys in the gym like you're gonna severely shorten your career if you spar hard all the time. Um, and I, I just know that like that's all I wanted to do when I was younger and I so I get the ego behind it and the the wanting to prove yourself all the time. but I definitely think that's one of those things that is going to have to go away if anybody wants to get better i feel like every fighter that has retired or is approaching the twilight of their career they say the same thing that like i wish i had sparred less um it's just not the way so on guam that's something i've been trying to work on in my own gym and as well as telling other other camps that it's probably not a good idea the difference between americans and australians though uh, there's not a whole lot of difference. Um, I feel like Australians joke a little bit more than Americans. Um, um, Joey Luciano was telling me that we just, that we take ourselves so seriously all the time in America. Um, I guess because I'm so, I, I would say I'm well-traveled that, uh, Gotcha. Yeah. So like with, with Aussies, um, uh, you guys tend to joke around a bit more. Um, like, you guys don't take yourselves as seriously. I mean, which I – man, it's it's a breath of fresh air because a lot of times I feel like um, in the in the States especially with our different cultures, uh, we are quite a melting pot in our political climate at the moment. Um, like, I guess we just take ourselves very seriously and uh, like where – for instance, you guys use the word "cunt" a lot, like, <laughs> it, and and it's a term of endearment almost. You know, it, it's hilarious, but you know, like in the states, if somebody called that, it'd be like, you know, like <laughs> like you'd have to check them a little bit. Um, so I I guess that's the cultural difference. But as far as like MMA goes, I, I feel like the development and the training is very similar. Yeah, so I I feel like the problem is is that like, you guys are probably exposed to like one specific part of America, you know, like the Midwest th- they are really happy to wave the flag. It, it's I guess it would be the difference between somebody from the outback and somebody from Melbourne. You know, you guys would be polar opposites,
0: completely different. they not the same. <laughs> they're two different countries, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and that's how the states is the the United States is so big, man. The difference between New York and California, or New York and Texas, even you know, it's just so much different. So like when when you say that we take ourselves serious, it's like, who? Which ones are you talking about? Like the United States of Texas or the United States of uh, California? It's hard, man, because we're so every state is so much different from the next. so I guess that 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 is the separator. Like, just depends on where you're from. Because I mean, like, I I, I guess you could, I I love America. I love our history. I, I think there's a lot of good that came out of what separating from England. Uh, I'm a big history buff, by the way. But I think, like, obviously, we have a lot of our issues where we were terrible to the Native Americans, and you know, you guys were terrible to the aborigines you know like there's a lot of similarities there um and like you know it's funny like we take like our our guns so seriously like that's the stereotype i think that most americans with any sense would say yeah maybe we should have some gun control and i don't mean we're gonna take away the guns but maybe you have to get a license. You have to have a license to drive. Why wouldn't you have a license to operate this thing that could potentially take a lot of lives? So I mean, I think that's any like uh, half-wit American could say, you know, whereas if you go to a certain states like, no, man, you're not taking my guns. The government any day now could take over our rights man i love australian culture (laughs) that there's nowhere in the world that has your coffee i say that every time i go there i'm like fuck this is amazing like i i don't even like an almond latte coffee like i don't even like almond lattes but i have one in melbourne i'm like what the fuck is this this is amazing whereas and then i get back home and i'm like oh this is shit
0: American coffee is fucking horrendous. I do have to say that Australian coffee is here. American coffee is here. European, I'm talking Bosnian, Bosnian and Greek coffee, another level. Where have you been internationally? You said that you're well-traveled.
1: Where have you been to and what did you like the most? So the first foreign country I visited is probably the same as for anyone from the United States. That's Mexico. I fought all over mexico like every part that you can imagine not just the border towns um i actually fought for a cartel run organization so i mean man i've i have fought in some crazy places there was like literally we went to like this place um in mexico called uh, durango it's essentially like farmland it was way out in the boonies man and uh we went to a uh like a cockfighting arena it it was crazy i mean because like we, the cage was positioned on a dirt floor and then it was like essentially like a coliseum built around cockfighting um i mean it, it was amazing you know but i mean and then to get paid they took us to like this compound and when I say compound, you can imagine like these high walls with barbed wire and the two, uh, two guys, Federa- they look like Federales. They got the, uh, the bulletproof vests on with a machine gun and the aviator sunglasses on when we drove through. I was shocked to get paid that time. I was just happy to make it home, to be honest.
0: Okay, my next question for you is about your coaches and your team. How much have they
1: helped you throughout your whole career? Um, so I, I've been very fortunate to have the right mentors in my life. Um, throughout my career, I had my first boxing coach, Tommy Ramirez. He was one of those guys that he opened up. He had a business, a construction business, and he opened up a gym as a, like a passion project. He didn't charge anybody to this day, still has this gym. It has a ring, a bunch of heavy bags, um, speed bags everywhere. Um, it doesn't charge anybody. You know, like, it's a free membership from my hometown. You go in as long as you uh, clean up after yourself and, you know, that's it. You know, like, it's just a really cool passion project that he's always done. And he mentors uh, the youth when they come in. Just, man, it's such a cool thing. Like, it's a a rarity these days that anybody does anything uh, as a passion project, you know, for free.
0: So what advice do you have for aspiring fighters that want to get into your position that are watching right now?
1: Man, just be a sponge. I think it's really important to get a good mentor and finding the right gym, and not just settling on one. Um, I know that I made that mistake in the past, um, where like I had like like for instance, I I went to Tiger Muay Thai. It was a bit of a tourist gym. Um, I, I met some great people there, and I got some good tutelage. But maybe I should have went somewhere else. Maybe I should have went to more traditional Muay Thai uh, gym. Um, I probably should have never went to AKA, I'll be honest with you. Uh, At the time, I think that the pool of fighters, you know, with John Fitch, Josh Thompson, uh, Josh Koscheck, Cain Velasquez, the pool was so deep that you didn't get a whole lot of looks from the other coaches. So we were essentially just uh, sparring equipment for them. Um, I probably should have went to a lower level gym so that I could have got more tutelage and... um, maybe more one-on-one time with a coach. Uh, So I I think it's really important to develop as a fighter rather than be developed on. There has to be like the equal, the hammer and the nail. You have to be both. You can't just uh, get your ass kicked all the time and you can't just beat people up left and right. It doesn't work that way. You have to have a good uh, balance of both, of having better guys than you in the room. And obviously, you want to be better than some people, too, so that you can practice some techniques that you picked up. And definitely get, like, get, get a mentor that's just going to steer you in the right direction. I mean, like a guy like myself, I have like 50-plus fights. I love it when guys will come up to me and ask questions about what they should do next. I mean, it, it can be tedious because you hear, start to hear the same questions. But at the same time, I love giving – like if the – if the advice that is given is, um, it, it's like, like don't be an asshole. Don't ask me a question and then do something else. It's like if they if they reciprocate, they do the right thing. If they follow your advice, that's always so rewarding when it works out for them. Like I'll, I'll tell guys, hey, you really should watch this video and kind of um, try to emulate not the movement, but like this particular technique watch this and do this rather than just mindless sparring i think sparring is the laziest thing that a fighter can do because it it really is mindless it's the same as oh i'm just going to go for a jog today i'm not going to do anything like all right cool you got you broke a sweat you uh you you burned some calories off but how did that make you a better fighter and the answer is it didn't so the same thing with sparring. All you did was lose some brain cells. Is that how you feel about sparring? Sometimes
0: I feel like sparring is the best training for me. Like I can do a million techniques over and over again. And I feel like when I get to drill sparring, I really try and really try and outplay them. I don't try and outmuscle or outheart um, them or outchin them. That's ridiculous. I try and outskill them at all times.
1: Correct. So, but which technique did you use during the sparring? Did you have to go to a, a technique session in order to learn that technique or did you learn it in sparring? I mean, I mean, you can throw, you can get shown
0: how to throw a switch kick or something, right. Yep. To the body. And then, and then I find it very difficult with my length to try and like, try and put into fruition, like not get the wrong part of the shin. So I feel like I need to drill it on somebody. I feel like I need to drill it on an actual person fighting then do it up against a bag a million times
1: yeah yeah so like technical sparring definitely has its place i think that's that's like a really good idea for development whereas i think like three two one go is a terrible idea and there's levels to the sparring there's the i'm gonna try to knock your head off and then there's like the traditional thai style sparring where it's almost like a point fight you're just trying to land the shot, you're not trying to crush the person with your shot. I think that's the difference.
0: totally agree. So you said that you don't know if you're gonna really retire. I wanna ask you, are you gonna compete in grappling or maybe even bare knuckle boxing? What What do you see yourself at least competing in?
1: Yeah, I'll definitely do Jiu Jitsu. Um, over the last five years, I've kinda gotten into CrossFit. I know it sounds cliche, but CrossFit for fitness and uh, like powerlifting and all that, CrossFit is like MMA is to all of the other martial arts. It's just a combination of a bunch of them. And I, I really fell in love with that style of training because I, I find it just to be fun. And then like in the off season with MMA, when I don't have a fight, I'm constantly training. And uh, I'm, I'm in great shape year round now because of this, this hobby that I have. Like I, I make sure that I work out every day whether I have a fight or not. So I think that's the difference with uh, MMA, a lot of MMA guys where they do strength and conditioning in preparation for a fight. Or, like me, I don't really have a off-season for the CrossFit side. I still love grappling. I refuse to do bare-knuckle boxing, though. That is just a terrible idea. For, for, me, for me, like the guys that are doing it right now, like the Mike Perrys, it's a great idea, man. I mean, I, I love to see it.
0: Follow JJ Ambrose on Instagram, link in the description, and subscribe to anything Combat on YouTube. Thanks, guys. Bye. See ya.